Joining us today is former NFL defensive back Aaron Beasley. In 1992, Aaron committed to WVU where he would start his first game as a true freshman. In 1994, he led the nation in interceptions. When he left WVU, he held the NCAA Big East record for interceptions at 18 in three seasons. He was voted a consensus All-American in 1995. In 1996, he was drafted in the third round of the NFL draft by the Jacksonville Jaguars, where he quickly became a team leader and cornerstone of the young expansion team. Aaron would go on to play for the New York Jets for two seasons and ultimately ending his career in Atlanta with the Falcons in 2004. In 2009, he was inducted into WVU Sports Hall of Fame, and today he is on the Everyman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, a true everyman, Aaron Beasley. Yeah, there you go. That's it. I'm going to throw that in there. That's, that's, that's way more than a golf clap. We'll have, to, we'll, have to, we'll have to put that in at post. Aaron, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you here at the Everyman Podcast. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Amen. It is our pleasure. So um, one of the things we like to talk about here on the Everyman Podcast, of course, is football. Football in college, football in peewee, football in the pros. Um I played all those levels. And you played all those levels, and you're still, <laughs> and you're still in the game. And you're still in the game with the with the kids. Um, so I wanted to right off the bat, um, I wanted to talk to you about your experience coming out of college. You were heavily recruited at a Valley Forge Military Academy. Actually, I wasn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, know, no, I, I know, I know, up in Boston they wanted you. I know Tom Coughlin wanted you. Well, and that's the thing. Like I always say that I wasn't recruited out of high school and the reason I say that is because I went to Valley Forge for an extra year so a lot of kids today don't know about post-grad you can you can actually go to a a you know prep school or private school yeah well not junior college because junior college you actually use you'll you'll use up one of your years of eligibility so what I did I went to a prep school and it gave me an extra year of high school because I didn't have any scholarships out of high school and what happened, the number one safety in the country from Florida ends up coming to Valley Forge. So me not really being a football player, I was a basketball player all my life. I started following this guy. I was like, man, that's how y'all play football down there in Florida? <laughs> I, like, I never, I never played seriously. I just used football as a – it was like a hobby. That was something for me to get out of class or get out of school early on Fridays sometimes, you know? Yep. There you go. Absolutely. But, wow. um, you know, so my main thing was I really was a basketball player that turned itself in a, into a football player through film study and, and just, you know, just watching other people and emulating other players in front of me. So you really did that transition kind of late for an athlete. I did. Um, my sophomore year, actually, in high school, I ran cross country. Instead wow. of yeah, what? I ran, bro. Yo, AB, you ran cross country. Yo, you gonna no, hear this? Man, you gotta talk about that, dog. Oh, you gotta hear this story. <laughs> you gotta this, talk this about is that. So, see, see, in nineteen eighty-eight, a hundred and fifty dollars got me to Oregon for two weeks. So we went to Oregon, um, and we ran in this relay called the Hood to Coast Relay. You started on Mount Hood, and you ran to the coast. So if you ever look up on your map, you probably never heard of Mount Hood. It's one of the tallest peaks in the United States. So you start on the base of the mountain and you run 168 miles. It took us 19 hours to run this relay. What? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So 
I was I was doing that because you know conditioning cross country goes with basketball. So football was the, exactly you making that face. I was. But that's not, not like that's like ultra marathon. That's not just cross country. That's that's nineteen <laughs> nineteen what? Hey, now think about it. A hundred and fifty dollars to go to Oregon for two weeks. <laughs> that might be I'm the most ridiculous saying, part of that memory I'm there. I'll tell you right now, I, I I don't do the treadmill for 19 minutes. You did that joke for 19 hours. That's, well, that's oh, crazy. Well, here's what happens. You Each of us runs a leg, and we had 10 people on the team, so I ended up running three legs. So Ooh. the like my, my legs ended up being 15.5 miles or something like that. Oh, Your legs God. ended up tired, I bet. Oh, man. But see, the funny thing is, you know, you start on the mountain, right? And you're not going to be able to stop. So the first, the first leg, I think, it was four miles. So, so you're running, you, you're running down the mountain. Yes, and and, and this is the thing. So the whole time you're running, there's always a van next to you because you have a van with you, and yeah. then there's a van that stays in front because you got to have the other runners ready. So it's like a shuttle service the whole time. Yeah, nineteen hours. So, I mean, they we actually had to do a practice route. With just the vans. Like, that's how detailed this was. Wow. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I'm running, like, 12 o'clock night up up mountains, bro. Like, oh, flashlight hat, flashlight in the hand. You gotta have, I mean, it was like... <laughs> and those weren't LED flashlights like we have today, either. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, know? They're, they're the batteries, yeah. They're the they're, heavy, yeah. heavy-ass batteries. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, AB, I gotta, I, gotta tell you, I gotta talk to you about... That's crazy. One, that's crazy. But two, and I, I, don't, I don't know why I'm segueing here, but I got to segue because you were talking about, you know, getting recruited out of high school, right? Mm-hmm. And, we, and Brother Jay, you was talking about Tom Coughlin. One of the things I remember from your doc is you was talking about how much of an influence Tom Coughlin uh, w- was on you. And mainly, one thing that stood out to me, you talked about structure. You talked about how the structure that he brought to the team, you know, uh, you missed that. And I remember coming out in 03. And I came in uh, with, with Chicago and I had Lovey and I had Ron Rivera as, as my D.C. And the structure that they implemented in the team was, I think, kind of the springboard for us going to, you know, I wasn't there in the team. I was in Cleveland in, 2000, <laughs> in 2006 uh, watching my former team go to uh, the Super Bowl and get beat by, by Peyton Manning. But uh, I digress. Um, but structure. Talk a little bit about that, how that not only just influenced you then, but now, because I mean, you're one of the smartest brothers I know. You know what I'm saying? So, I just, I just go to a Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> you see my face? That was shocking. Here you go. <laughs> but uh, you know, structure. I, I look at it like this, man. I think, you know, coming out of high school, going to Valley Forge Military. You know, I'm I'm a senior out of high school. I already got my mind set up. I'm going to college because, you know, a lot of guys, once they go to Valley Forge, you know, you, go, you end up going to D1. Um, like 99% of the guys go to college. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was I got there and you're waking up at 545 every day. Uh, your, your bed has to be made every day. Uh, so, you, you, you know, you almost get used to that you know, daily thing. It's almost like a groundhog day, which almost simplifies things for you because you know this is what has to be done at this yeah. time. And and it helps you to put things into perspective. So when when I, 
you know, I played at West Virginia four years. Coach Don Nillen was the best. But when I got to Jacksonville, I actually felt like I got treated more like a pro in West Virginia because Coach Nillen was a player's coach. But the structure when I got to, to uh, Jacksonville was very much like it was at Valley Forge. Right. Where the times, everything was set and you knew exactly where to be at certain times. And I think as a football player, that really helps because we want to be just focusing on our game. We want to focus on what film we're watching, the first mm-hmm. down, the first down, the second down pass, and third down pass. And so we, we're almost like – I look at it like a golfer. A golfer doesn't just swing the club. He plays the driver. He plays the short irons. That's just like us as a football player or a defensive back. We got the first down, the second down. We got to study. We got the third down. We have to study. And what I loved about Tom Coughlin and his the way he ran things is everything was so detailed that you just look in that book for the week of your opponent and you could look at a formation and you would know the percentages. And if you would, I mean, this is way back before all this computer technology we had. Right. And I'm talking about every play they ran, and I'm, not, I'm sure they do it now, but for it was all on paper back then. And that was the first time I really saw it like that, like, whoa, right. percentages. And I think that helped me to play better and to actually, you know, you don't, you don't take chances because you, you play within the structure of the defense, but you find ways and you find different keys that will help you play and have advantages. And I think that's the structure through Coughlin that – you know, Herm Edwards was a great coach. Uh, Jim Moore Jr., great coach in different ways, personality-wise. You know, personality-wise, if Tom Coleman had their personalities, that would have been like the perfect yeah. mold. <laughs> but Tom Coleman's personality, because we were a very young team. I mean, if you look at our team, most of our guys were first and second year guys in 95, 96, 97. Yeah. And he really... He, he put that Bill Parcells foot down. I mean, and if you look at it, you look back at his career, that stuff works. Bill Parcells, it worked. Uh, I would say that guy in New England, Mr. Belichick, it's working. <laughs> I would say so, <laughs> Tom Coughlin, look at Bill Parcells' tree, and you look at the discipline, and you look at the structure, and those guys, it doesn't matter who is in that Bill Parcells or Bill, who's in that system. The structure is there, and it will lead to victories because you got guys that you just fit in there just put them in there put them in there and everybody falls in place that's and that's awesome. like to me that's like to the, the the design of a great or the perfect coach is that no matter who goes in there the system stays the same because when mark brunell got hurt i didn't lose any confidence when jay fiedler was in there when uh john quinn was in there i mean john quinn was a little unexperienced and, and maybe the speed of the game but I knew he knew the structure and the system because everybody has to be detail-oriented when they play for Tom Coughlin. Nice. Nice. Wow. And, and I would assume that that the nature of, of the Jaguars coming into the league at that time as an expansion team, I mean, you guys didn't really have a whole lot of, uh, like you said, you had young first-year, second-year players and not a lot of expectations. It kind of really was like you guys against the world, at least uh, from an outsider, you know, non-football uh, player perspective. Yeah, I just I should clarify. I I was not in the NFL, just in case you weren't sure. Aaron. <laughs> I'm, a, hey. I'm, a, I'm a five foot nine drummer, so. Hey, I, my, now, my, kick, my kicker was smaller than that. 
Oh, hey, maybe they hey, could have. Hey, hey, maybe hey. another, maybe another lifetime. If anybody asks, you were a kicker. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Hey, hey, you heard it here, guys. You, you just gotta know. You just gotta know your body type. You're, right, right, you're right. a kicker. <laughs> you can't say running back or linebacker or DN. Oh, no. No, definitely not DN. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out with Daryl sometimes, I question if <laughs> how I'm even a man. You know, it's. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's so. the thing, man. Like, like, like I said, I was always into basketball, but I just know one thing: there's some grown men out there. Like you know how big he is, <laughs> he's little to some of them dudes out there. You that's, know? That's, that's that's what that's what blows my mind is I mean I've seen I've seen him have fourteen Mountain Dews, and not have to go to the bathroom, and you know like it's just normal business. So like for me that just it just blows my mind. It's incredible. You guys are you guys amaze me in so many ways. Um, and Daryl touched on it earlier your your documentary um, talking about where you're from and and how growing up in Pottstown. One of the things that was really awesome for me is now coming from a professional music background um i have been coached my entire life and i find that the best um, musicians are the most coachable and i see that uh relating in athletics as well like you can have all the natural talent and you can work really hard but if you can't take coaching and know when to be coached you'll never really achieve your full potential and i've seen that as a student and as a teacher myself Watching you interact with the young, young athletes that you're that you're working with there, you strike me as the kind of guy that you want to listen to, as opposed to somebody you have to listen to. And what that means is, when I played two years of uh, middle school football, my coach was just an angry dude, and <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like there was no real direction of the anger. It was just general anger. And I don't know, like if he was having a hard time at home, and like he just was taking it out on the fifteen year olds, but. <laughs> Like Sam, may- Kennison, like Sam Kennison, like Sam Kennison. Exactly, just, just, just like co- just cocaine angry. Yeah. Cocaine angry for no reason. Get on it. And never, and no water breaks, right? <laughs> no, you, no water breaks at all. Coach, I have to take you a drink, shit. I don't care. You drink your sweat. That's what you're gonna drink. <laughs> Yo, see, and how? See, you're younger, so I had it worse. Well, you know, but at the same time, I'm so I still remember though. Like I remember getting a concussion in in, in a game, and then being like, ah, you know, whatever, shut up, keep going. You know, like it's just it was just smack you on the head to heal you. Yeah, you'll you'll be fine. Um, so what is it about your approach to coaching? Do you take some of that Coughlin mentality when you're working with these kids? Because I kind of see that it's like you're you're showing them by example, but you're also cool in a way that like just just watching i could tell that you want those kids to get better and it's to me it's not even coaching you know i'm i'm just out there having a blast passing on knowledge so i'm i'm really just teaching so like i i had yesterday i i had a guy he's probably he's 14 he's getting ready for a couple of combines and so i was running the routes for him so it's fun for me because you know, I, I still think I have some juice. <laughs> so, you can still suit up? Uh, I could probably suit up, but I, if I take one hit, I'm done. <laughs> I, I, could, I could play on air with, yeah. pads, with no pads on air. As long as, you, as long as you've got flags on and everybody else doesn't, right? <laughs> yeah, just touch. Two-hand touch with me. That's it. <laughs> but, like, I I get out there and I'm, I'm still doing the drills because I – I just love doing it. I, I love showing kids because to me, 
the best way for especially a younger guy to learn is to see it from somebody who's been there. And I think that's an advantage with, with when you come to learn from me. I'm actually going to do some drills with you. I'm going to explain why. Uh, I think my resume, I don't, I don't like, I'm, I'm a humble dude. I don't like bragging about my stuff. But, like, guys, if they, if they know about me, like, I'll tell them about how I got all these interceptions and, you know, just tell them about different tricks of the trade. But, I mean, it's just, it's just a love of just passing knowledge, you know. I, I just know when I was growing up, I, I never really hung with guys my age. I was talking to, if you watch the documentary, it's a true story. My uncle would, would I was in like fourth grade, but I was always hanging out with the other guys. And, and after a certain time, the younger guys couldn't play. Like I think at seven o'clock, they shut the gym down for the younger guys and it was only adults. And they would always have like nine adults, and I'd just be happen to be there, you know. <laughs> and I would be out there playing. I mean, they the even to this day, I wish I could have got some of those guys in the documentary because when I was 12 years old, I was playing with 22, 23, 24 years old, and I was not backing down from anybody. And it's like I, I always hung out with my cousin. My cousin graduated high school 1984. Man, I was training with these guys. I was the, I was the manager of the football team, the manager of the basketball team. Every Sunday, I was going to play basketball with all the basketball coaches. I mean, I just live sports, man. And it's like, like my my family lineage is like all athletes. Um, I don't know if you know uh, great Philly, uh, uh, the name of uh, Bobby Shantz. Bobby Shantz is a baseball Hall of Famer. He's from my hometown. But, like, I got cousins that played Major League Baseball, Major League ba- um, NBA, the Dick Ricketts and Dave Ricketts. And all my life has just been sports. So my my uncles on one side, all cross-country and basketball trophies. I used to study these trophies and just be like, yo, I'm going to get more than these guys. This is, it's like every day I had a goal in front of me to get more trophies than them. I know I wouldn't get it, but, you know, that's – to me, it's like always having that goal in front of you and, and going for it. So that's what, when I when I talk and teach kids, it's I have fun. I talk junk, and I it's like I try to bring the best out of them by building confidence, not knocking them down. That's that's really great, and I can kind of relate there because you know growing up, uh, my father uh, worked in the church. He's a pastor, and uh, so I grew up playing music in the church, and I was always playing with. I was. 15 16 years old playing with grown men you know like musicians that had been professionals for 20 years you know 30 years and i would remember taking heat for that from people my age because they're like why are you playing with all these old men and i was like i don't know dude i'm just like trying to learn and then like ultimately when it by the time that that we were all in our 20s and starting bands the people that were i i had a clear advantage because i was hanging with that older crowd and like learning from from the experts and then you can kind of carry that on you get that edge and yeah, you know, from what I understand, it's all about like the edge. Some things a book can't teach. You right. know, you got to like you got to have time on time. Somebody who's experienced some things can teach you just as much as a book. Hey, by the way, one of my good friends is John Otto. Really? Yeah, man. I, I'm like I've been big into music too. What? Like, <laughs> hang on a second. What is hang on a second. Right now, you're friends with yeah. the drummer from Limp Biscuit. Yeah, that's they're from Jacksonville. That's my dog. Yeah. Right, listen. After Yo, this hey. conversation, you're gonna have to hook me up. I, you don't, you don't understand how much I love Limp Biscuit, dude. It's not even a joke. I'm like, 
I got a hoodie. I got his I'm email. So, I'm fully torqued right now. Let me just yeah, put it that. That's my dude, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you could hook, hook you hook me up with John Otto, that'd be great. <laughs> I think that's wow. cool between like both of you guys just kind of, you know, talking about, you know, having older, you know, people in your lives that just kind of like instructed you and just like, you know, put you on the right direction. Even when you were even in the documentary, even in the documentary, A B, you were talking about teaching kids like you you felt confident in in your teaching and it's just it was just an organic experience for you you just enjoy teaching that hey if i can pass down the training that i myself went through as a professional athlete to kids that are trying to get to where i was or even somewhere indicative of that you know i i can bet you that they'll have a, a way better chance uh going about it as as opposed to somebody else who doesn't have that type of direction in their life. And I think that's pretty cool. A prime example, like I got, I train on Saturdays out of my, my training complex. A prime example, I got a couple of eighth graders right now who've been working with me probably since fifth grade. They've been doing it. They know that I can just, yo, do the ladders, uh, do the ladder drill, lead the way. They know exactly what I do. Then I got some eighth graders that just got with me. You can see the difference. Yeah. You know, they're, they're great athletes, great defensive backs. But but the thing is, as a defensive back, I I, I tell my guys, you got to be like an artist. You know, you, you got tools that you got to perfect. You know, you got to perfect your brain. You got to perfect your eyes, your hips, your your every your hands, your feet. So you got to perfect all these tools. And you can see the difference. Like some guy might be faster than my guys, but when it comes down to technique, you might not beat him because his technique is going to be sound. And you know, you know how it is. Everybody's a great athlete, but the ones that are technical and the ones who are fine-tuned, those yep. are the ones that win. I mean, it's a good example. You can go by the 40 time all you want, but the guy as a D-back that can turn and run, that's more important to me. Or the guy that has a 5-10-5 shuttle that can come out of his break from yep. back pedal to forward, that's more important to me. Yep. I mean, yes, speed is important, but – I'm gonna tell you, I'm a prime example. I ran a four or seven, so I'm out there covering guys running four or two. You better be a technician. <laughs> you, you got it. You got it. Well, and you if you're cover that ground, if your number one cornerback is just chasing dudes all day long, he's not doing his job. So what's that speed gonna do for anyway running straight? So exactly, yeah, exactly. absolutely, absolutely. I, I think like like you know, I I grew up, I did grow up a football fan. I I, I did love football, and I, I, I just didn't want to be a football. I wanted to be a basketball player. But, like, I grew up watching Jerry and, and watching Tim uh, Tim Brown. And uh, a great compliment I got from those guys, uh, one, of my, one of my great friends from my hometown, Pottstown, is a lawyer out in Dallas. And he's out there golfing with Tim Brown. And he's like, Tim, man, have you, you ever played? You, you remember the guy Aaron Beasley? And, he, and my boy hit me up. He was like, man. He said, Tim Brown just hit me up. He said, technician. <laughs> he said, that's the first thing that's that came it. out of his mouth. That's and it's it, like, like when you grow up watching guys and, you know, he was a 1987 Heisman winner in Notre Dame. And I'm like, yo, I used to watch all his games. I used to want to be Tim Brown. I had my fingers taped up like if everything. The spat. Notre Dame, baby. <laughs> so when you play against a guy like that, you don't know how much adrenaline comes up. When, you, when you're playing against Jerry Rice, the first time I played against Jerry Rice, I, I I got him to kick me and got him got him a penalty because I was out. I, I I used to get so amped up. I got amped up and had him on the bottom of the pile. I said, "Yeah, I, am I allowed to cuss?" Yeah, yeah. I said, "I said, motherfucker, this ain't gonna happen no more." I, I was like, 
I guess he's like, who's this motherfucker? He just started kicking, bitch, get off me. I'm like, hey, I'm so I, I just wanted to do it to get a reaction. And I got out of there, got back to the huddle, got my call, and I'm good. I, just started, I started some shit and got up out of there. Because uh, the, the funny thing is, he was so frustrated. Later on, he got into a beef with my boy. He thought it was me. It was the other corner. <laughs> That's crazy. That's that is that is every man's style right there for sure. Now tagging along with the technician aspect of of being a successful pro, um, we've talked to pro wrestlers. We talked to shredder guitar legends, and I'm I one thing I'm always interested in is preparation. W- what did you do before a game? What were you doing outside of your regular training regimen? What were the things that that you did that helped you stay in the league for nine years, stay consistent, be successful in different systems. What was that physical prep like? And what's it like compared to how, what you do now? Uh, I would say, I mean, just because you have a week to prepare. I mean, it's not like, like you got to build into it, you know, because a, a lot of, a lot of football that people don't realize is letting go of the week before so quickly you know we play on a sunday you might not have had a good game but you got to let that thing go because monday you're back on you're going to watch a film and you're back on to somebody else so a lot of it is being able to let go and reset and focus on the next and a lot of people don't realize that that is a big thing because you know just just as a as a player i i, I tell my guys a lot of a lot of coaching or a lot of playing. I mean, it's ninety percent mental. It's a lot of psychology. It's a lot of acting. You know, you you as a corner, you're going to get beat, but you got to act like you didn't get beat. Mm-hmm. So you got you got beat on a touchdown. You got to be like, okay, you got me, you got me. I'm on to the next. Yeah. So, so what what I'm trying to get into as far as the prep, letting that go on to the next. But I mean, it it starts. Tuesday, you know, you you gotta do some kind of running Monday, get all that that lactic acid out of your body because I mean a game of sixty plays at that level is so physical and so it it drains everything out of you. I mean, I'm gonna tell you, for a game, I hate talking about this. I used to drink like six cups of coffee before a game. What? Yes. How did you not shit yourself running around the field getting it? Hit? Oh, I, oh, I had to piss all game. <laughs> this is a diuretic. I had to piss all game. Oh, man. But when you got to piss, you run faster, they say. <laughs> but no, I would be out there wired, dude. Like, I mean, I would, it would start when I woke up, cup of coffee. Uh, go to breakfast, cup of coffee. Uh, eat breakfast, leave. Cup of coffee, you know. So by the time I get over there, I'm like, you've already had four by the time you get to the stadium. Yeah, man. And then this was when Red Bull first came out. Oh man, man, halftime. There'd be like two <laughs> cases under there. Grab hey, but but you you got to understand the intensity of a foot one play in the NFL. The intensity is so high. I mean, I, I'm, I'll give example. My second year. I fractured my hip. I was playing. I was just, I was playing bubble run against Carl Pickens. I, I went to jamming. My foot got stuck in the ground, and boom! I just thought it was a regular hip pointer. I played the whole game. 
Oh my god! Because of adrenaline, that coffee. I just, you know how it is. We don't want to come out. I'm, uh, no, you, you definitely don't want to come out. Yo, that's, who that's behind sure. me? Oh, he can't. He ain't ready. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta stick this one out. But I played the whole game with a broken hip. Just the adrenaline and, and like the physical toll is something else. Because that next day, they had to come get it. me. They had to come get me. You know, so like that's. I'm just using that as an example of the intensity because one play could just change everything. I mean, mm-hmm. we see it. I mean, my rookie year, look, I missed one play my whole college career. My rookie year, I fractured my shoulder blade. I got three cracks in my shoulder. Jeez. So I missed 10 weeks. Second year, I missed 10 weeks. Well, a funny story, <laughs> the, uh, the time I fractured my shoulder, I know it ain't funny, but <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I thought I had a stinger, and uh, my man Dana Hall was out there. Dana Hall was in safety. I'm like, Dana, I'm like, yo, my, my shoulder, man, I don't know what's up. So I'm like, here, let me put my shoulder, my arm up on your shoulder. So I, I had to flick my arm up. I had, to, ooh, I had to throw my arm up on his shoulder as he's standing there. He's like, yo, get out there. They're breaking the huddle. I'm like, okay. My arm just went. <laughs> it was just swinging, right? So this is my rookie year. Eddie Kennison's out there. Eddie Kennison running 4 240. So I'm out there covering them. I'm off coverage. They threw my way, dude. Oh. <laughs> like, I made the play, but I had to keep on moving, bro. I said, yo, Oof, take man. me to the x-ray. Because it was, I, I actually had a fracture in my shoulder, three crack. I mean, I had three cracks. Nerves started. It was like, it was the scariest thing ever. Because I ain't, I missed one play. And then, then after that, I had to get my first MRI. And from what I've been told, my trainer, Mike Ryan, told me that was the worst experience he's ever heard of for somebody with an MRI. Wow. So I had to go in there, and I could only lay one way. My MRI took five hours. Jesus. Like this. <laughs> like sideways. Oh, bro. So I know I'm a little off subject, but you said I, the, I, the, the physicality. Yeah, that's that's, that's what we no, want to hear, that's, though. Yeah, that's exactly what we're, You know, the cool thing about that, A.B., is like, you know, the one thing I, I heard you say in that is like even before you went and you told Fantech because that's how it is, you know what I'm saying? Is you said you had to build, and the, to to me, what I pull out of that is football. Even for me, like before games, trust me, I I remember when Kevin Carter and 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 uh uh, uh I was uh, when I was in uh, Tampa Bay and I was sitting there before the game, and then you got the Red Bull and you got the No Explode. You mix that stuff for the yeah. game. You already know what it is. You already know what it is. My heart, I felt my heart for full straight quarters. The little stingers, the little killer bees. Between your six coffees, your NO2, and my heart disease, none of us should be sitting here. <laughs> then a big old bottle of smelling salt. That's it, exactly. <laughs> and you already know. You know what I'm saying? I got Chris Holman. I got Kevin Carter. You know what I'm saying? I, I got um, uh, uh, Speed. They, they sit up there like, yo, DC, you, can you feel it? I'm like, I can hear it. I can feel it. I can see I can, it. I, we I all am in it. it. I am it. Should I be hearing my heart right now? Like, no, you good. You ready to go. <laughs> so I'm sitting there Perfect. like, yo, like, but everything, everything is about that build. Like you said, you put your foot in the ground, you felt that pop, but you're like, yo, I still got to go. Yep. If you didn't build, if you didn't, if you didn't formulate your body into what it was up to that point, that attrition, because to me, football is all about attrition. One step leading to the next step, but it all adds up to, mm-hmm. to formulating the best possible body that you have on that field. So you can keep going through in, through injury, through breaking every ring on your left hand, you still got to put your hand in the dirt. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. what you got to do. Because if you don't, you know what? 
Somebody is 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 waiting to take your damn job. You already know what it is. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you got to do. It's all about attrition. It's all about taking care of your body. Like you said, on Monday they got to come get you, but they gonna come get you on Sunday. You feel me? So you had it. Like you said, that next week to prepare your body, even knowing that you already you you already got a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, injured, or I should say, nicked the week before. You see what I'm saying? So that brings up a great point because you're actually getting ready physically. And you're getting ready mentally. Because yep. the, the physical part is getting your body back, cold tubbing, uh, the training room. See, people don't realize somebody gets hurt, they're up 6 o'clock in that training room. They mm-hmm. ain't leaving till 5, 6 o'clock every day. Then, then they still got to watch the film. They still got to go to meetings, still got to go to walkthroughs. So you, and, and that's part of that structure. Like You get so programmed into that that it, it leads you right into the test of mm-hmm. the game. So, like, if you got a great coach, he'll prepare you so that on Friday you know every play that's coming, or you should know the tendencies of every part of their game. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like almost like practicing for a a play, like a script. Like they, our first and was it Wednesdays first and second down play action mm-hmm. blitz. Then uh, Thursdays with like more long distance pass and third down a little more uh, deeper passing plays. Yeah, situational football. Situation. Baby. And, All and that's, day, and that's and that's that's football too. Yep. Situational football, like yep. it's not like you just go out there and run plays. It's like you go out there and it's structured to run the play for certain situations. And that's the one thing I used to key on. Like I used to study a defensive coordinator where he really came from, like mm-hmm. what who his coaching family tree was. Right. Because you start watching, you start looking at some of these guys. They have egos just like anybody else, and Absolutely. they're. Their ego is this. My shit works. They better all the time. execute this. All the time. As and, long as and, all 11 people do what the fuck I say, we yep. straight. That's how, they, that's how they think about it. And and that's the one thing I think, to me, as far as scheme-wise, scheme-wise, the NFL is easier to read than college. But athletically and physically, I think the NFL is definitely different mm-hmm. because, because of the hashes. And and the numbers. So those numbers are telling a lot as far as as a receiver split. So I could go out there and see a receiver how far he was from the numbers and break down what play he could run. And that's why, like as far as preparing, that's part of that mental part where I would I would take the film home and you know the cowboy where you can want boop boop boop. I would mm-hmm. sit there in my position, boom boom, working the steps, working the bump and run. Work and so you get into a rhythm and you get the timing because another thing I teach a lot of my 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 young guys you gotta you gotta mess up timing up there so what I'm doing during that week is figuring out the timing and where do they like to throw and what are their spots and how that how that receiver lines up on a pass or versus a run or is he is he getting down is he fixing his gloves is he I mean just I try to find every little clue I have during that week mentally so it's like. There's so many – that's why I was saying it's a buildup because you're preparing for physically getting your body ready, uh, keeping your, your technique tight because uh, you still do one-on-ones and all that stuff. You're still going against the number ones and working on stuff. But then mentally preparing as far as how to break that play down because as a football play, that's what, 10 seconds at the most? And I got to scan that formation and I, it's so much I got to do in like three seconds – I mean, it's it's a lot, and that's <laughs> sixty plays. 
So you got to be, you got to be kind of a, I think one of my favorite coaches is Frank Gans. He says that you have to be a 90% brain surgeon and 10% axe murderer to be a great football player. <laughs> <laughs> axe murderer. Axe murderer. He said 10% Jason. 10%. That's what he said. 10% yeah. Jason. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I think that's something, you know, calling back to what you're talking about, rehab. I don't think a lot of your average NFL fans, I don't think they understand, number one, that you guys are human beings um, with, like, moving parts. <laughs> and, and two, the, the work that goes behind what – I mean, we see – you know, we see the little bits in between all the commercials for Ford and pharmaceutical companies, and then we go on with our lives and then just bitch about it. And we don't see the, like you said, at 6 a.m. in the ice ice tub, you know, rehabbing your knee till 5 o'clock and, you know, doing that every day to come back from an injury knowing that it could just happen to you all over again. So I think that that really um, that really opens my eyes to what that, that reality is. So th- thank you for sharing that. That's That's incredible. I'm sorry, I get a little long with it sometimes. I like no, no, no. This is yeah, we, <laughs> hey, we just Fantastic. talking, man. We, okay. This, this is talking. what we do. This is great. This is what we do. Um, a <clears throat> A B. I think one of the one of the things too, and even catching up with you at the officiating academy, you know, a couple weeks back, um, it was awesome seeing you out there. And like I told you all through that highlight, brother. So you know, we got to hey, see that for you roll out. Brother. You know what okay, I'm saying? Okay. You know what I'm saying? Looking out for you. Hey, um, you know what's crazy? I, I thought about that, man. I was out there. I was talking to the guy so much because I wanted to get all the feedback. So I, I wasn't even worried about the clinic. I was like, feed, tell me whatever I need to know because I'm about to go take over this thing, man. That's it. That's it. it. It's, and, and, and I know we've been talking about earlier before we even got on um, the podcast. And we're just talking about just some of, some of your passion, some of the things that you're into. And, and I think a, a lot of people, especially, you know, as, as they're, you know, getting further and further into what, what it is that we do with the everyman, want to know about, you know, your passions in life, you know what I mean? Like transitioning from the field, you know, how that, you know, permeates throughout your day, throughout your week, you know, like what, what, what are the, what are some of the things, like I said, I caught up with you at the officiating Academy. You're trying to be a ref, you know what I'm saying? We got the Potsdown documentary. Are you trying to get in production? You know what I'm saying? So what drives you? What, um, what are your new passions now? I know football is still very much there because you're giving back to the youth in the community, but you know, what else do you got going on that, uh, you know, kind of spurns you as you go forward? Uh, well, I I partner with a South Jersey business. I'll get that. But a friend of mine um, connected me uh, with uh, the South Jersey Business Leaders Association. Mm-hmm. And what I what I've done, I, I set up a little company called the Athletic Business Alliance, and we're we're partnering with the, the business alliance to actually for local athletes or local charities we're trying to help raise money because a lot of these businesses are looking for people to you know to help they, they they're looking for tax write-offs <laughs> you know? but i mean they're, they're looking to help people though and what we're trying to do is you know if an athlete um has a charity we want to we want to partner them with you know people that'll help them raise money so what i just i'm just i'm just trying to help you know uh kids uh my wife is actually a gymnastics coach, uh, a Mr. Mom. That's awesome. Uh, so I, I do a lot of the Mr. Mom at home. I'm, you know, taking my kids to soccer. Uh, right now they run track and field. We run with the Camden Pal. Uh, great track program. All Americans all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean, I, my thing, I, that, i got to say video games, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, what are you playing? I'm a big gamer myself. Oh, I'm, I am Ghost Recon Wildlands. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, oh man, I'm Still I'm like a, I'm I'm Tom Clancy all the way. Oh man. yeah, I'm I'm picking up the division this weekend, the new one. Uh huh. The division. So you Xbox okay. or PS? Uh, well, PS4, PS4. Switch, and PC. I'm, I'm a I'm a bit of a gear. I have a problem with gear. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You got everything in this house, man. I'm trying to yeah. tell you. You got it all. Oh, man. Uh, VR, everything. He knows a secret that I got. I want to talk about it, but I right now I'm just. Woof. Oh, you got You got oh. Oh, Come on. We, I'll tell you, but we got some big things about to happen, man. We're uh, we're working on something big with uh, right. somebody. That's going to be a part two right? A part two interview yeah. once it, once it yeah. drops. Oh, it's. it's... We'll, we'll talk later offline. John Otto and the secret. <laughs> yeah, but like that's the thing. Like I, I'm, I'm big into video games, and and I thought I was big until I met Amon Green. <laughs> Amon Green is a gamer, man. That guy. We've actually done uh, celebrity uh, uh, video game boot camps where I was up at Microsoft Studios. Wow. Um, I, I went to the E3 convention like two years ago. Oh man! And that same year, actually, that was last year. Good grief. Uh, to, but last year I was we actually did another celebrity boot camp in Las Vegas. So it was Man, you went to Vegas? A, yo, we were in a we were up in a, a suite. I think we we're in a Luxor in a suite. And for the four days, all we did was play Street Fighter. So we had Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. Oh what? bro. I was Man, in heaven. That's like was, heaven on <laughs> earth right there. Street <laughs> Fighter? Look, I yeah. ain't even a Street Fighter, but it was just Duke like and- I'm just sitting there watching, <laughs> watching people play. I was like, yo, this is cool. We just get we're just in here playing video games. I mean, I didn't, get, I didn't get paid or anything. It was just like everything was free. I mean, everything. Oh man. But That's... it was like it was uh me, Amon Green, uh Stevie Williams, uh skateboarder uh from Philadelphia. He's he's like the first black skateboarder from yo, know, he's the coolest dude ever, yo. That's what <laughs> uh there was another guy, uh Key Keilani from he was a surfer, so it was like a it was like a cast of characters. Man, uh, we so... we had uh, three wrestlers, uh, two three female wrestlers. Uh, Mick Foley's daughter, Noel. Noel, she was yeah, there. I know Noel Foley. Hey, hey, you want to hear a funny story? Uh, yeah, I do. She never <laughs> tell us. Tell she us. Never, she never did any TAC, and you know out there is legal. Yeah. So. She was like, I want to try it, I want to try it. So, okay, so we were like, okay, we went. <laughs> man, got a brownie. Man, next thing you know, you could just see the the time lapse of, yeah, yeah, oh. <laughs> he just melted into the chair. <laughs> but, man, it sounds like a real rough weekend you had there. Oh, but, I mean, but <laughs> hey, uh, video games, man. That video games can take you a lot of places. That's it, it's man. like these, these aren't the same video games we grew up on, you know? It's like, yeah. and like, you know, I wish somebody would told me that if I would have put all the time into the drumming, into video games, <laughs> that like right now I could be. Like ninja, you could be yeah, ninja. I could be ninja. Yeah. I, could be ninja. Yeah. I showed I showed Daryl Doctor Disrespect. He's like my he's my guy. I love that dude. And I'm like, dude, he's making 50 G's a month. Ninja what are we? Ninja was up to 500 G's. Dude, EA paid him a million dollars to switch over to Apex Legends for for one month. Ooh, oh, uh, ninja. Yeah, just a million to switch games. My gosh. Mm-hmm. What man? They yeah. getting paid out there? Oh, wait, well, See that slapping they, these boys with money, man. Wow. They're oh, making they're building a uh Overwatch arena down in Philly. Yeah. The few, uh, it's a 50, fusion center. 50, 50 million dollar yeah. infusions the team, right? Yo, A B, yeah. that's what you was talking about, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about. Yep. Man. But, see? But, and the thing is, they're coming up everywhere. Atlantic City. 
They got one in Vegas too. Atlantic, that's the one I was at in Vegas. Thirty thousand square feet. The oh, one, man. the one that you're talking about, Fusion, is going to be the biggest one in the country, though. That's I can't wait to see that. That's going to be incredible. Incredible, that's amazing. Esports on the Everyman Podcast. That's it. Love man. it. I love it. Oh. I love it. <laughs> so, a few more things I wanted to touch up on here before we uh, before we let you go for the evening. Um, in 2004, you ended your. That's that's where you were with the Falcons, and uh, that was kind of um, Michael Vick's coming Co- out. Coming season. out. Yeah. And and he, you know, he changed the game in so many so many ways. And that was the year. I mean, I was just looking at that roster. Uh, before we got on the call and and looking at all that amazing talent that was on that team, you know, led by Jim Moore Jr. A couple questions. One, when you when you first saw Vic on the field at practice and you're and you're practicing against the offense, did you did you know like oh here, this is this is it? This is the next wave? Did did you see it coming? Like what was that like? Like how Put into perspective for people that are listening how incredible of an athlete he was and how different he was at that time. See, it's good because I can I can tell you from the perspective because I played again, I played with another left-handed quarterback, Mark Brunel. And the one distinct thing as far as arm talent, I, I would say definitely Mark more accurate, but that whip of Michael Vick, mm-hmm. <laughs> that thing just whipped out there like <laughs> like yeah <laughs> but i mean like he when i was there oh four he was really just becoming a dual threat you know because he was more drop back run around and 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 just run around and throw. yeah but they they started incorporating a lot more reads for him and you know you you could just see like like the arm talent was incredible because, like, you know, you do your one on ones and, you know, you you you're running a go route and he he out throws both of you by like 15 yards. It's just like, on yeah, a flick. yeah, just just like that, man. I mean, the the one thing that was great, uh, being down there in the off season, we we would play uh uh like what's the frisbee game when you catch it and you you can't run forward but you can uh, run ultimate back. frisbee. Yo, we were playing that, and Michael Vick was on my team. Good grief. Like, <laughs> you thought he was a receiver. He, whoa, that boy. Yo, he went and got it like a receiver, man. I was wait, like, yo. wait, wait, wait. He, th- he was throwing the, the frisbee to himself? Well, no, somebody threw it to him. Okay, I thought you were saying he was like Mr. Perfect and like throwing it up and then running and catching no, I'm, it. I'm talking about, I'm talking <laughs> about. I probably like, could do that. He probably, oh, man. And I saw him and D'Angelo Hall after practice race. I mean, it was, yeah, it was. Amazing. That dude is a freak. But <laughs> the funny thing is, you know, that year I actually I, I I I didn't start, but that year my first two games as a Falcon, I got two interceptions. And both of them were like, I saved Michael Vick's ass. Because <laughs> <laughs> hey, and the funny thing is I saw him a couple years ago at uh Ron Jaworski's uh golf tournament. Oh yeah. And I was like, yo, what's up, Vic? Oh, he was like, yo, B, you saved my ass a couple times, boy. <laughs> like, you know how cool he is. You know, the first game, uh, oh, the first game, I got a great story. I wasn't even supposed to be on this interception, made the play, and I did every move in Madden possible, the stiff arm, the <laughs> hurdle. I did a, a circle, 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 circle I, stick. Yo, 
if, if I, oh, if we're gonna have to dig up that copy, if we can find that copy from Chris Berman, he whoop, 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 he did everything. <laughs> Look, so I got to like the 15 yard line. I, I caught the ball in the end zone. I got to like the 15 yard line. I was so tired. I looked back. I was about to pitch it off to a defensive lineman, and I just said, "Oh no, never mind." Right. <laughs> so Mike Vick, he ain't look out for me. He scores the next play. All right. So my coach, <laughs> my coach is like, "All right." We back out there. I'm on the sideline with the oxygen mask. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Get your ass out. back out there. He's trying to make me go out there. That's it, coach. I said, I can't go. He says, Vic wasn't looking out for me. He ain't scoring the next play. Vic wasn't looking out. He scored the next play. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is, that's insane. You know, I had an opportunity to uh, stand on the sideline for a little bit of a uh, preseason game in 2011 of the Steelers and the Eagles out in Pittsburgh. And <clears throat> I'm standing there at warm-ups, and uh, Michael Vick comes out. The Steelers were already out there. You got Ben, uh, like Heath Miller. They were all just warming up. And then Michael Vick comes out, and everything stops on the field. Everything. Ben has got two rings, and he stops – Vic standing at the 30-yard line, and so like he just said, he just puts his hand up and it's like whew, like he was he was lit, talking, man. but he was he was throwing to somebody who was on the goal line from his own th- from his own 30. Mm. And this is Vic, like I said, 2011, years later, just hanging out, whoop, and he's oh, like he's having a conversation and, and just like it's no big deal. And I remember looking around, like Jason Lock and Four was on the sidelines there, and like everybody just it was like everyone. It was like, wow, we're this is we're, we're seeing somebody special here, you know? Because like most people would be like, uh, a big old wind up. Just, exactly. <laughs> like you see Ben doing it, and he's like, lanky ass throwing it over there. And he's Ben's great. Don't get me wrong, I love Ben, but like I was just, you know. And then of course when Michael Vick came to the Steelers, it was it was not the Michael Vick I was hoping oh, for. Oh, that was yeah. But uh, he still hey. he still won a game for us. That see, and that that leads me to another thing. You know, Mike Vick. He, you know, he didn't really start becoming that thrower until he got to the Eagles, right? Remember that year he had with the Eagles? Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. And and remember that game against Washington? Uh, see, Mike Vick. I, I used to, I used to wonder because you know I always would had the quarterbacks, you know, Mark Brunell and Chad Pennington. You would never see the quarterbacks. Quarterbacks always took their lunch and they went back up to the quarterback room. I'll be like, Mike, why are you down here playing video games with us? He be out there playing fight night with us. <laughs> man, fight night was a great game, though, man. Yo, we fight night was that deal. deal. And, and I look, suspect there was no is, fight night in Philadelphia. Maybe that had something to do with it. And, and the thing is, he was he would be like in a rush. Though. Come on, man, y'all gotta let me go real quick. And he knew he had to get to his meeting, but he had to sneak some fight night in, yo. <laughs> oh man, that's fantastic. That I, I I loved Atlanta, though, man, because. Like, I, I got one story I love to tell about Jim Moore, man, because Jim was such a – man, I love playing for Jim Moore. But we would have these uh, – these we called them uh, black paint games. So if, if we were on the road, you know, Atlanta, Carolina is a black paint game. All your division games are black paint games. So you play on the road, all the coaches have to wear some uh, some eye eye black. So you got some coaches <laughs> wear a little side. Some coaches, you know, just – look. So I, I would come out there with the crazy, you know – <laughs> but so we had one game. It was it was a ESPN Saturday night. We played Carolina, and we were uh, we were beating them bad, like seventeen nothing. 
And this is Julius Peppers. I, no, you talking oh, about a freak. Man. You talking yeah, about a dude. freak athlete. Yo. Julius Peppers. Julius, we were winning 17 nothing. All week we had practiced some trick plays just in case because, you know, we knew it was going to be that kind of game. We practiced some trick plays, and they actually took the lead on us, like 20 to 17 or something like that. And so what happened, Jim Moore, he comes up to me because I, I was like a vet, but, you know, I was this cool dude. Jim Moore comes up to me. Yo, bees, I'm thinking about running that trick play, man. I was like, Coach, I'm like, Coach, don't run that shit right now. We're, I'm like, Coach, we're going to play good D. I said, they just got, because Julius Peppers just called an interception, ran it like 90 yards. You probably remember this game if you go back. But Julius Peppers ran it. Jim Moore comes to me. It was the next next kickoff return. I'm going to run it. I'm going to run it, Beasley. So he ran the kickoff. I said, man, don't do that shit. I sat on the bench. I'm like, man, this shit ain't going to work. Next thing I know, I hear the crowd roar. D Hall, it, it was a throwback. So Alan Rossum caught it, threw it back to D'Angelo. D'Angelo took it to like the 50. So then we got up there, the crowd's up there, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay, it works. Jim Moore is looking for my ass. Jim Moore was like, where's that motherfucking Beasley? Where's he at? He's <laughs> like, motherfucker, it worked. You <laughs> get me to figure it worked, motherfucker. <laughs> I, like, I love that dude, man. Oh, like, God. That's awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> incredible well i think uh i think that's a great place to end it aaron uh this has been a true pleasure thank you so much for spending yeah, some time with us tonight man, man. I appreciate you, brother. um is there any social media you want to plug anything you got going i'm old school i don't know <laughs> well <laughs> i got I, it I, I will see you in the wild i will see you in the wildlands then i guess my friend yeah I'll <laughs> my tag. I'll there you go beautiful all right thank you very much